Welcome to The Experts Speak, a product of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thank you for listening. A tremendous amount of discussion is currently underway dealing with people who are transgender. Brandy Baumchner is a South Florida psychologist who works in this area, and she graciously agreed to talk to us about this topic. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. We hear the term transgender. Precisely what does this mean? Is this an overlap with other sexual conditions, homosexuality, or is it something different? Let's just start with a basic definition if you would, please. Sure. Well, a basic definition of the term transgender is a pretty broad umbrella term, and that basically is a term that defines somebody that is that their gender identity differs from their sex that was assigned at birth. So how they identify and feel and what is authentic for them in terms of their gender differs from what the doctor said was their sex and or gender at birth. Is this the same as transsexualism? Well, transsexualism is more of an older medical term, sometimes still used, but transsexual by definition would be somebody that has changed their sex, so has undergone what is usually called sex reassignment surgery, but we often refer to it now as gender confirmation surgery. So transsexual is more the medical term, but some may identify, use that word or may identify as transsexual, but a lot of times there's a variance in terms of how somebody wants to transition or if they want to transition at all. So somebody can be transgender and not want to go through the surgery or it might not fit for a lot of people that term. How common is the transgender person in our society? Well, rates of occurrence is difficult, especially because it's oftentimes not included on census surveys and things like that. We know is what we think that in terms of the adult U.S. population, the most cited percent is 0.3%. So that would be about like 700,000 Americans or so, give or take. But newer research is indicating it could be up to 0.6% of adult Americans. That's still a very large population. I mean, the percent would work out to 1.4 million adult Americans, and that's not including youth. Those are less known. Is there a sense of at what age a person starts to sense that their birth gender identity is not psychologically comfortable for them? Is there a sense when this first appears? I think that it really varies. There are some children that as soon as they're born and as soon as they can talk or communicate, even non-verbally, know and indicate from very early on that their gender identity is what it is and that may be different than the sex they were assigned at birth. And for others, it comes later. Um, it really just varies and there's not one path and there's not one sequence that, that happens. Sometimes it happens later and sometimes for people now, I think what you see is maybe folks that didn't have words for it or terms for it or didn't know because there wasn't the language for it that are now seeing or identifying that's what it's always been. I just didn't know what it was called and are coming out now or being able to label it in a way now that they have language for it. And do you think that the discussions in the media making people Less hesitant about hiding this and therefore coming out with it more, or I guess the flip side, because we hear some sometimes very negative things that they're afraid even more so. Any sense of that? 
Yes, I think it's both things. I think as visibility increases, especially with public people and celebrities and a lot of people coming out as visibility increases, I think then other people become also brave and feel that they can come out. And then I think on the flip side is as more people come out, sometimes there's an increase in violence and or marginalization and or people witness others, their peers being marginalized or what happens when they come out. So then that may decrease for some people their willingness to come out and feeling that it's not safe or they should keep it a secret. So I think it's both things. You use the term gender confirmation surgery. And when I was a resident, we were, I studied at a hospital that at the time was called sexual reassignment surgery. And I like the subtlety here, not reassignment, but confirmation. Huge differences in the nuances. Mm -hmm. Tell me more from your experience in working with this population. That must be a powerful difference. Yeah, for sure. Especially because it's something that so many have always known and it's always been who they are. And when they can finally have a body that is authentic for them, it is very freeing and affirming. And so confirming that through the surgery is very powerful and, and for some people, you know, essential for all people, but some very much more, it's, you know, a lifesaver and the distress of being in the body that, and having their body not be authentic is terrible and difficult and painful. So having the surgery can be devastating. But I think a lot of people who are not familiar with people who are transgender have no idea, can't conceptualize. They'll say, I'm a man. I can't imagine thinking that I'm not a man, that I'm a woman. I mean, what are the specifics? You're just not attracted to men. You like more feminine things. Is, is there a standard list, so to speak, of things or reasons or problems that pop up into a person's head. You say that it doesn't feel right. Is that the dissonance? Some of it. Gender identity is the internal conviction of whether you are a man or a woman, or we can broaden it to both or neither. How you identify as male or female or neither or both, that gets into a broader discussion maybe outside of this topic, but it's a, a sense of self and something that you know. And, and hard to describe, hard to put into words. Right. So if somebody that's not transgender, which is the term we use as cisgender, where you're sex assigned at birth and the biology of that matches your gender identity. If someone that's cisgender imagines being in a body that's opposite, that might be a way to try and understand it. If you were assigned a male at birth and you identify as a man and woke up with a woman's body. Do people who go through the transgender questioning and until they've come out, are they as inclined as everyone else to have mental health problems or is it more so because they're struggling more so? What do we got to say about that, please? I think that what we see are higher rates of depression and suicide attempts and substance abuse, etc., for people that are transgender, but I don't believe and it's not indicated that that is because they're transgender, like it's inherent in that, but rather a lot of times the marginalization or oppression they may experience in the world, the experiences of being not affirmed and your community and your family and the world are not seen as you are and the oppression and negative experiences, traumatic experiences, loss of job, harassment, victimization that happens, therefore it will increase or cause a lot of these things, a lot of the mental health things like substance abuse, etc. Should these people want to go into some sort of counseling, psychotherapy? As a rule of thumb, do a lot of therapists really understand this? How does someone find a therapist who's good for someone who's going through the transition process? What are we looking for? 
where there are several questions you asked at one time. Yes. But how does someone find a therapist, I think, that works with this? Of course, asking around and word of mouth. The internet is great for different things, like checking different websites like WPATH or a lot of organizations that work with transgender individuals or the LGBTQ community at large will have guides on their website, sometimes provider lists. Also, it's good to check your, if you live in a metropolitan area that has an LGBTQ center. It's good to check them because they often know the local writers. If you're not in one of those areas, sometimes online you can find resources and or therapists that might be able to do teletherapy or therapy through some video conferencing or, or phone. I think more so now than before, but I, I don't think a lot of providers know about working with transgender or gender non-conforming individuals. I think that Openness is the first thing. Educating yourself is very important and working within your specialties or working within your lane of practice. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of transgender folk or gender nonconforming individuals end up having to educate their providers, which is not why they're coming to us. We want to have it be the other way around in terms of someone has questions or needs resources or needs an advocate. The therapist can be that and be a place to help provide information from a knowledge base. So everyone's able to get educated if they want to. There's a lot of online resources, training, CEUs, different programs you can do online to learn about working with people that are transgender. When someone comes to you and they are describing these symptoms, is there, and I know no simple answer exists to go across every variable here, but in helping the family of the person understand what's going on, are there a few caveats that you've learned over the years that seem to be more helpful than not? Definitely. I think there's a coming out process for family members as it is for the person coming to identify and deciding, do I tell others? First, is this true about me? If it is true, what does it mean? And do I tell others? And what does this mean for my life? And what does this look like? And where's my community? Who are safe people in the world? And letting go of perhaps other privileges in one's life that may not have if your transgender family goes through that sort of coming out process too, which includes some grief work possibly and or allowing space for different emotions, anger, sadness, shock, all of that. And so if you can create space for the family, that process, especially an adult, even later in life, this is something the person was living with. I think creating space for the family to be able to explore that and, and have that and sometimes separate from the individual and connecting them to others that have been through this also really important. And also letting them know that they'll be, can go through the other side, get to the other side of it. A lot of times when families are rejecting, they don't realize sometimes the, the consequences of that and how a highly rejecting family compared to a moderately rejecting family, the risk of suicide, say for a teenager, goes from something like eight times greater for a teenager that's rejected. And this is LGBTQ, so including gay and lesbian and queer folk. But the impact of a family that is, goes from highly rejecting to just a little bit more accepting, the impact is, goes from like eight times more likely to to attempt suicide to two times more likely. Small little changes in their behaviors can really have a big impact. And so sometimes helping families know what some of those things are and also just know that they can really be helpful in caring for their child and not even maybe not even accepting them but tolerating. I think it's important to connect parents sometimes to their reactions but also their fear, ultimately their, their 
their love for their child. When they hear these things, sometimes parents get really scared about what does this mean for their lives and their well-being, safety. So connecting them to that, to their love for their child, and to these are ways that you can help support your loved one. Do parents sometimes feel that they failed, that it's their fault that causes, you know, where does it come from? I mean, I know that's a huge question. Sure. I think parents can think it's something that they did or even some parents just, well, how did I miss this? Or maybe this can't be true. But yes, I think parents will blame themselves sometimes. And a lot of times that comes from also the stigma that's associated with being buried in one's gender identity or being transgender or gender non-forming. It's a bad thing. Then, well, what did I do to cause this bad thing? What we know historically is that variance in gender identity is normal. And most of the world is in the binary, the gender binary. Binary. Most of the world identifies on one side, either male or female. We know that there is more of a spectrum and more variant than that. I think sometimes parents will blame themselves if they aren't aware that there is variance and if they aren't aware that it's actually normal and we see it and it's been around for all of history in varied cultures. It's very scary when you talked about the incredibly higher suicide rate that these people go through. I don't even know where to begin to talk about that. It's I'll use the word again. It's it's scary. I guess intervention is very much necessary in order to prevent this. Very difficult and requires a lot of work. Probably even sometimes from if the people, because we, we tend not to sometimes emphasize enough, but clergy spend a lot of time and have a lot of influence in a lot of people's lives. I have seen cases where clergy has come in and sometimes been helpful, sometimes not. But it, it gives that sense of, of spirituality, of connection, of, of it being okay. And it's a larger issue. It's a very large issue that you face when someone is going to be different than their biological sexual gender. It's incredible. And I would even say biological sex rather than biological sexual gender. Okay. As you worded. I think learning language is really important as a provider and also just as a fellow human being. It can communicate care and sensitivity as we learn. So I think those things are important, including making sure you don't use the word transgender as a noun, but rather as like an adjective. So instead of saying someone is a transgender, they're a transgender person or a happy person or a gay person or a loving and kind, enthusiastic person or you know other adjectives you could use for somebody. A subtle but very important point, uh, just absolutely. This obviously is a topic that's enormously important to our society and enormously important to the folks who actually are dealing with this. If someone is beginning to feel that inner sense that you refer to, I hope they can find somebody to talk about it and help them through the transition and coming out and finding a balance in life because that's what we're really looking for. And again, the fact that so many people end up harming themselves is very distressing. Brandy Baum Kirchner is a psychologist in Southeast Florida, and she's talked very comfortably and smoothly about the various elements of dealing with someone who is a transgender person. Again, an Mm -hmm. adjective, not a noun. And I think that captures a lot of what we're facing. Thank you very much for doing this, and I hope it generates some good thoughts in people and people get a better life. Yes. Can I say something? Sure. 
I just want to highlight two other things, if possible, because I think you asked me sort of at the beginning about the definition, the word transgender, and how does this vary or is this different than sexual orientation? Just sexual orientation is not the same thing as gender identity. So sexual orientation is you're romantically, emotionally, sexually attracted to, whereas gender identity is more who you are, it, your self-conviction of yourself as a male or female, man or woman, both or neither. Some people identify as both. Some people identify as neither man or woman. They don't feel like they're one or the other. But easier way sometimes it's at the risk of sexualizing sexual orientation because sexual orientation and relationships aren't just about sex. There's relational, emotional intimacy that also happens. An easy way for people to help people understand it is sexual orientation is to be a little blunt. Who you go to bed with or who you want to go to bed with, whereas gender identity is who you go to bed as. The more I listen to it, the more I have to agree is learn the language, learn the nuances. If you're going to talk about it, know how to talk about it. The other thing when you said, I want to, at the end, about people are suffering, and yes, transgender, gender, non-conforming people are suffering and are faced with a lot of oppression and difficulties, but they're also very strong and very resilient and have a lot of amazing qualities and are great human beings. And so if you work with folk, it's also important to highlight their strengths, notice their resiliency and the qualities that they have developed and strength from having to face some of the things that society has given them in terms of protection. So to notice their resiliency. It's really important. And it speaks to the totality of a person's existence. And the transgenderism is just sometimes coincidental, but not really to the core of what they can do in life. Right. Awesome. It's just their gender identity. And we all have one. Everybody has a gender identity. It's just that most people, their gender identity coincides with their sex assigned at birth. Then they don't really think about their gender identity, and we don't question it. We don't say, well, how do you know you're a man or woman? But if it differs, then we're like, wait, how could that be, right? Point. But we all have it. Good points. Again, I thank you. And thank you. it's my pleasure to bring you to our audience, and we will be in touch and have a very, very good day. Good stuff. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I appreciate it.